Welcome to another episode of How Do I Know with Travis Walker. My name is Travis Walker, and today's episode is all about Greek life. We talk about Greek life at the local level, the chapter level. We also talk about it at the regional level, and we go all the way up to the national level. So for my Greek life lovers out there, this episode is for you. If you're just considering joining a Greek organization, this episode is for you too, because we're gonna talk about all the good things, all the bad things, all the things that you need to be aware of, and those people that are critical of Greek life, this episode is for you too, because we are gonna be a little bit critical of Greek life as well, because we love Greek life, which means we get to criticize it and talk about how we can make it better as Greek people in the community. So with all that being said, get ready for the episode, but before that, y'all make sure that you are subscribing, liking and sharing and rating and reviewing and all of those ings that i always ask you to do make sure that you actually do that that helps the the podcast grow and we need it to grow so with all that being said y'all we are going to learn how to adult together let's get into the show nick how you doing man it's so good to see you i'm doing awesome it's great to see you too Thanks for having oh, me. Oh, it's been too long. It, has, it I, I'm so glad that you're here. I think that you are, when I consider a, a Greek life expert, a, a, a professional fraternity man, I think of you. And so I'm so glad that you're coming on to talk about Greek life. Thanks. I don't think of myself that way, but you know, <laughs> I'm definitely involved. We'll say that much. Yeah, yeah. And you've been involved for a really long time. And so I, I want to start off with just laying the groundwork on what do you do for work? How old are you and what part of the world do you live in? Sure. Uh, I'm, I live in Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm from Chicago, Illinois area, not too far from here. I'm 32. I currently work at Kiwanis International. It's an international service organization. They do service projects for kids, building playgrounds, raising funds, backpacks at the start of school year, stuff like that. And then I work with our youth programs, which are service clubs, elementary school through college. And then we have a I believe the largest and first uh, club for adults with disabilities called Action Club. Uh, so I primarily work with those groups to in growth and expansion and special projects. That's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, so, so what specifically do you do? Do you do like the outreach of that, or or what? What are you doing for for that, those types of things? Yeah. Uh, well, during the pandemic, we did a lot of digital resource creation. Uh, so for our clubs. They're a lot like fraternities, to be honest. Kiwanis is very much like a fraternity. It's got a whole international governing structure, a board, all of that. And the same thing goes for the youth program. So we made like a virtual workbook for leadership, service leadership. Um, and right now we're in our homecoming campaign, which a lot of our clubs went inactive because they have to meet at school. And mm. most schools were out of session or at least out of in-person session last fall and spring. Uh, so now we're just yeah. in that campaign, just sending email campaigns, trying to establish new clubs, helping people to establish new clubs, all that. That's awesome. That's awesome. I think that you're doing a really good thing. And it goes to our conversation today because we're talking about a specific type of organization being Greek organizations. And so, again, we're here to talk about Greek life. So first, let's talk about our organization. Uh, mm. What makes it so special and what organization is that? And, and so just kind of introing what we know about, about this topic. Well, our organization, which you've been a grant council member of, uh, Delta Sigma Phi, uh, what makes it special? So Delta Sig was started in 1899 at the City College of New York. And one of the unique things about that school is that it was a public school. 
um, and it gave a free ride to any student who met the academic criteria and they had really rigorous academic criteria. So you would like leave high school after three years and basically be on this full ride where you couldn't mess up uh, or get in trouble or you'd lose your only chance at education. It was a lot of students from immigrants, immigrant communities, a lot of first generation college students. It was not like a traditional college at the time, uh, which were very limited in terms of their potential audience to right. one religion, one class of wealth. Um, so we were started when there were six other fraternities there and all of them were affiliated with a different religion and our group had a mix of students from a couple different backgrounds and different religious backgrounds who couldn't join one fraternity so they created delta sig and as we say it's the first non-sectarian fraternity there's a little debate about that um but that's like something that fraternity historians <laughs> debate amongst <laughs> themselves it's not really the important anymore. stuff yeah but that's you know the special thing is in 1899 you know you think this is like the era of jim crow and some pretty intense kkk well it picked up even later but uh some pretty intense kkk activity and just right segregation is the norm and so for an organization to have this idea that every this is a brotherhood for everybody even if it was imperfect for so many decades is a pretty special thing to carry into this century. I think it's a message that still resonates with people. Oh yeah, I think yeah. so too. I think so too. So so that's the history of our organization. What is your relationship with our organization? How did you become a member and what was your experience like once you were initiated into the organization? I joined at Stetson University. It's in a small town in Florida called Deland, Deland of the Free. And uh <laughs> I don't know how I ended up at that school, but I was there. I was rowing at the time and I sort of I think this is the case for a lot of people. I'm not sure if you might feel this way, but I feel like I was almost tricked into joining and you know, like I did not intend to join anything. I was just meeting people. Um, you might I think you're a founding father, so that might be a little different, but uh, sure, you know, I just met people and then over time they're like, here's your invitation to join. And I was like, great, that sounds cool. And I had no real attachment to it the first year um, I was doing things with the group, but I was rowing and I was involved in a lot of other clubs at Stetson and I was like, this is just for fun. And then over time, as I got elected to different positions and started taking a more philosophical approach to fraternity, perhaps a little too serious of an approach to fraternities, I became really ingrained in it. It became like 50% of my college experience was just organizing things for this chapter and meeting people from other schools and going to every program I could go to. So the more I got involved with it, the more I saw the mechanics of it and I wanted to be involved at a national level. And then after college, I went and worked for their fraternity for about six years. Wow. Wow. So you, um, that, when you say involved at the beginning of the episode, you are involved. Uh, so that's really good. I mean, I was involved too in, in a bunch of different capacities. So I think that's really important. So the uh, Greek organizations are primarily at college campuses and, and they provide a specific service for people that are in college. I'm interested, what do you think that Greek organizations specifically provide to their members and what can you gain from, from being in a Greek organization on campus? Yeah, my, um, so I write and we might get to this, but I write, oh, I've, written about fraternities and blogged about them for about 10 years now. Uh, and my website fraternityman.com has been around since like 2014. And 
a lot of why I was writing that was because as I was working with fraternities, I started noticing the number of things that we ask students to do is quite a lot. And um, yeah. that not a lot of people know how they function and work. So I think if you talk to a fraternity student, the chances that they're going to say, like they'll rattle off a list of a lot of things, community service events and philanthropy events. And basically what a fraternity is, is a social club at the heart and soul of it is that it's a social club. They are born of like literary societies from the 17 and 1800s uh, where students yeah. would gather together and debate and talk about social topics and learn how to be stewards of civilization and of their school. So at the heart of it is just a friendship, a network of friendship. Um, when you join a fraternity, you basically are joining a group of people who you connect with. And the idea is that because you're building strong relationships through different brotherhood events and things like that, it's going to enhance your ability to do all of the other things that fraternities do. So the good relationships make the community service projects better and more fulfilling. The good relationships make fundraising more fulfilling, learning together more fulfilling, socializing more fulfilling. So the heart and soul of everything is they're really one of the few, if not the only student organizations focused almost entirely on helping people build strong relationships with one another. That's interesting. That's very, very interesting. So, so how is this different from, uh, I don't know, the hide and seek club or, or, <laughs> or, or that a thing? that's, that's a club at, at, at my university. It was a high, it was a club. It, they're weird. That's awesome. But you can never find them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But how is this different from from those kind of clubs, or, or just like uh, the, the the mass comm club, or, or or other clubs that that are not Greek organizations? Yeah. Um, so if you think of there are community service oriented fraternities, for example, or you could join a community service club. And what I would suggest is the difference between the two is that the if you just look at the words in the name. A community service club is a club that's organized around getting people together to do service or people who are interested in service or who want to create volunteer opportunities for other people or things along. It's service is the sole priority of the organization. If you have a service fraternity, this goes back to what I was talking about. The relationships is it is about the relationships between those people as much as it is about the community service. So if a community service fraternity is not also doing things to build relationships intentionally between its members, it's basically failing at its purpose of being a fraternity. Whereas mm. a service club, you're bound to make friends, you know, and if you join any organization, I think that's what a lot of people say, like, oh, I don't need to pay for my friends. I can join this or that. That's true. And I joined a lot of clubs at Stetson. I made a lot of friends outside of my fraternity. I know most people who are involved in fraternities have friends outside of their fraternities, too. Yes. But the difference is that you're committing to team building activities, brotherhood events, getting to know one another on a deep and personal level. It's not just about the service. It's about, you know, forging ties that are meant to last beyond the college years and hopefully yeah. stay productive beyond the college years. That's why it's lifelong. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I like that. So zooming out for a moment, yeah. just kind of thinking about kids going to college and, and thinking about them being away from their parents for the very first time, why is it so important for these kids to get involved in something? It, it, I, 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 that's kind of my philosophy is they got to get involved in something. I would love for them to join a Greek organization, but I need them involved in something. And why is that so important? 
Involvement and belonging is generally important. Um, there are plenty of statistics that I don't know off the top of my head, but generally, <laughs> you know, if you search the news, uh, you'll see that, you know, today is considered wild, widely considered to be, or this generation of students is widely considered to be one of the most depressed and suicidal in history. And particularly oh, wow. with young men, the rate of men committing suicide, young men committing suicide compared to women. Um, it's just astounding how, <laughs> how unfortunate of a hand people have been dealt by the series of events that have been happening over the past 20 years, basically since 9-11. You know, there's just a huge recession. There's a lot of reasons to be upset. And involvement is one of those opportunities, I think, to get back into your own sphere of influence and to focus on where your actions have um, effect in the world. So whether it's yeah. a service club or a sport or anything like that, you see the the results of your work, the fruits of your labor. And a lot of what we focus on is so big picture. If you log on Twitter, you know, people are tweeting about literally everything in the, <laughs> in the world that's going on. And um, so joining something brings you back to your level. It lets you plant some roots in the ground and it lets you find people you can collaborate with and build things with. And that's a good feeling. That's things that people need to know if they want to be contributors to their community in the future. Um, yeah, we can all theorize and I write a lot and I, you know, writing isn't necessarily like <laughs> the same thing as community service. It's a little cerebral, but at the end of the day, knowing what you can do with your hands or with your relationships or as a part of a bigger team is something that's going to help people feel grounded and more connected. And that's something that we always preach is getting involved keeps retention rates higher. It's just, it makes the experience more enjoyable. And um, it's something outside of what you're told to do. It's something that you get to take part in by your choice and you get to contribute back to the world or your school by choice. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. I, I'd just like to point out from my experience in college was wildly different than like my roommates uh, experience in college because I was probably like hyper involved yeah. and uh, he wasn't involved <laughs> at all. And so I mean, I was always doing stuff for the fraternity. I was always doing stuff with friends and whatnot and contributing to the world. And I mean, he wasn't a bump on the log. He had a, he had a fantastic job, a girlfriend and all these things. But I could see that my mental health was different from his mental health. And uh, I think that's really important. And my key, my key differentiation between us is that I was involved in, in, in the university and he wasn't. And so I think that's really a, a really important thing. If, if you're at college and you're not involved in anything, it will help your your mental health. In my opinion, I'm not a I'm not a what is it psychiatrist, but in everything that I've seen, being involved helps in a lot of different ways. Yeah. So, so thinking about these people that are joining Greek organizations or they're going into college for the very first time, who should join Greek organizations and who should not join Greek organizations? Hmm. I think everybody should, obviously. Everybody. I'm a wow. big, you know, I think friendship is like the thing that makes the world go round so even if it's just a friend club if all you do is sit down and talk once a week i think that that's something more than not having anything and it's going to help you relationship wise right but um in the the thing is the current system of fraternities and sororities and the it's been this way for 
probably a few decades. Um, but even more so now it's very, it, it's a lot of work. And especially if you want to get involved at a level of being, um, a leader within the organization, or even just having some sort of responsibility within the organization, it can pretty quickly ramp up to a part-time, sometimes even closer to a full-time job. So unfortunately, what that means is the person who shouldn't join a fraternity is the person who doesn't have that time or expense to give to the organization. And that's not because of the way that fraternities are. It's just because what fraternities can be is kind of been put in a box. Um, mm -hmm. That said, I think that the goal of building fraternity, building relationships and friendships is something that can appeal to everybody and should appeal to everybody. And if there's opportunity yeah. to create something at your school, for example, a fraternity that meets less frequently and costs less money and just does a couple focused things together that could appeal to commuter students or people with families, I think it'd be great for people to create those types of opportunities. So I think everybody could benefit from a fraternity. I think the people who should join are obviously the people who are willing to commit not only to, it's two in one, it's, an organization like any other where you have to do activities and you have to go to meetings and you have to do whatever types of projects you have to do, but then you also have to commit to getting to know these people. And that can be a little frightening, I think, for some of us. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. I'm introvert. I've like give speeches and stuff like that, but I'm generally introverted. So going into a room and feeling like I have to make friends with 90 different people or 40 different people is a big task. Um, but I think that, you know, there are different groups for different people, right? Uh, there's fraternities that are smaller and more focused on a couple things that might appeal to you because you want just a small, tight-knit group. There are some groups that are 150, 200 people, and you join that group and you feel like you're in a sea of nothing, but you still form a lot of great relationships and you accomplish really big things, you know? At, and they didn't do this at my school, but there's fraternities throwing concerts and like getting Lil Wayne and stuff like that <laughs> to perform there. <laughs> Lil Wayne. So it's just, it's such a broad experience um, that yeah. depending on whatever school you might go to, you'll have more or fewer fraternities, but there's, there should be something for everyone is my thought. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know I if that really that answered also, that, but. I think you did. And I think that, uh, I think that you also mentioned something that I think is worth talking about, which is. Uh, a, a fraternity or sorority experience can look very, very different depending on what college you go to. Right. If you go to Alabama, that experience is going to look very, very different than going to Stetson or even yeah. Texas State University. And so that that's something to to acknowledge as well, because I, I, I guess my point of view would be it's a little bit more intense at, at the larger schools. And so there, there's going to be a little bit more expectations, both financially and with time. Right. Uh, and so I, I think that that would be my key differentiation between the large school and small school uh, conversation. What, would you agree or do you think that there's additional points to this? No, I think that, I mean, coming from St Stetson has like 2000 people um, and fraternities have a history there and they're a big part of the school, but it's not nearly like Alabama or, you know, when I was traveling for the fraternity and setting up chapters at schools, you really see the differences in everything just from the culture to their various policies. But like the idea of having tiers, a tier system like they do at Alabama <laughs> or like fighting over who's going to be your partner at homecoming games, like which sorority a fraternity is going to partner with to sit together at homecoming games and 
tailgate and all that. Like we did not have, I didn't have tailgates at my school or anything like that. So the, the focus of the fraternities might change depending on what's available at the school. You know, bigger schools have more things available to put it simply. Um, and there's bigger stakes to have your fraternity member as the president of the student government association. You know what I mean? So right. It, you're right. It is quite a bit more intense at the bigger schools and oftentimes, especially if housing is involved, it can be quite a bit more expensive. That's a whole different animal. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and so I, I want to, we've mainly been talking about the IFC, the, the inter fraternity council. Mm-hmm. And so I want to bring in a, a kind of other, other councils as well, but especially the, the multicultural councils and, and the historically black organiza- uh, Greek organizations. How do they factor into this conversation? How is it different? How is it the same? Yeah. Um, first, I'll say that, you know, just to <laughs> protect you, I'm not an expert on this. So anybody who's listening sure. to this, do not, you know, there are plenty of people who are far more involved. But for many years, really up until desegregation, colleges and fraternities were pretty similar in that they were a little more homogenous. More schools were, you know, in the 1800s, the school was all male and all Christian and all white. So the fraternities that started at that school are going to be all male, all Christian, all white. Same thing for the women's groups. The black fraternities, which started with Alpha Phi Alpha men's group uh, 1906, was at a a college that served black students. So... There are these separations between fraternities because they were necessary from discriminate or from segregation in society. And what that ends up looking like today is, you know, it's almost like the island effect. They've um, like the NPHC groups, the historically black fraternities and sororities developed their own pathline in terms of how they bring members into the organization and the traditions of those organizations and the symbols and rituals. So for example, our fraternity in Alpha Phi Alpha, that historically black men's fraternity, both mm-hmm. have Egyptian lore and symbols, but they might mean completely different things to us than they do to the men of Alpha Phi Alpha. Right. I think the same thing applies to a lot of the other organizations. So like there's the multicultural council and organizations, uh, which can sort of be a catch-all term at some schools, especially smaller schools where they don't have a lot of Latino or, or Latinx organizations, right? Um, right? But there are basically, if, if you think about it, there are fraternities and sororities to appeal to such a wide variety of markets. There are organizations which are still attached to certain religions. There's LGBTQ plus organizations, service organizations, right? So they're all different in their own way. There's professional organizations um, and they're each governed by their own council. Mm-hmm. In most cases. So the IFC are predominantly historically white fraternities. And then the right. Panhellenic women's group is predominantly historically white women's groups. And then NPHC is predominantly historically black. So they're sort of separated. And I think that's one of the problems that fraternities for people who work with fraternities and sororities bring up is because they're so formally separated, they're still sort of caught up in those segregated councils from prior to desegregation for their own reasons. Um, It can be hard to get the groups to intermingle as a lot of people would like them to do. So they typically just stick with their historic connections like Alpha Phi Alpha and AKA Alpha Kappa Alpha, the sorority are 
generally friendly or people assume them to be generally friendly because they're both the first one is the first men's black group one's the first women's black group and they kept that going all these years you know over a hundred years it's kind of hard to be like okay well now you have to go and mingle with everybody else right so there are a lot of groups which are a bit rooted in cultural backgrounds and that's another it's all about how you connect with people right if you're a historically black fraternity part of what you are is an organization that promotes causes which are important to black americans um delta sigma theta is another black sorority they just launched last year a fund and an initiative to help just generally get more black women involved in government yeah so there's that aspect and then there's also you're building friendships around that you know common interests and that common background um so i didn't necessarily go too in depth with it but basically there's just a wide variety of fraternity sorority organizations a lot of them are culturally based out of necessity because they weren't allowed in the historically white fraternities at that time or they didn't want to be right. a part of those organizations sure but it's sure, also sure. interesting you see like this trajectory of maybe 50 years after the first women's groups were started the suffrage movement picked up steam and then maybe 50 years after the black organization started the civil rights movement picked up steam and then latin x organizations and lgbtq organizations a lot of them were founded in the 80s and those issues have really come to the forefront or issues related to those subgroups have come to the forefront so i'm not wow. saying that it's causation but there's um there's definite intrigue there that you know you're connecting a lot of educated people into these national or international networks and they can have some sort of progressive elements to them a lot of the people fighting for civil rights were fighting on behalf of their fraternities and sororities or marching with wow. their fraternities and sororities right yeah yeah i you brought up a lot of good things here and that wasn't my <laughs> my, my intention in this conversation wasn't to go here but now i'm interested uh, because I never, uh, as a fraternity leader, when I was in college, I saw the other councils and I was, I, I didn't think anything of it, right? I was just like, oh yeah, the MPHC, it's a nationally, or it's a historically black, uh, MG, or I'm sorry, it, these other organizations, it di I didn't think of it. But is this a form of modern segregation in, in, in a way? It, it, or is this unintentional? Or is this something that we shouldn't even think about? I, I, I don't know. I'm thinking about this for the first time and i'm wondering yeah. is this modern segregation or uh what do so, you think no this is a thing yeah I, <laughs> i've i've expressed that point before right that there are these so there's this abolish greek life movement that's our initiative that started at a lot of campuses to get people particularly to abolish the historically white fraternities and sororities um right more so than the non-white groups or non-historically white groups right and something that i think people just don't understand the depth of fraternities and sororities right they are in many cases national or international groups they've got governing structures they've got a field of work built around them from people who work at campuses to headquarters to selling products and services so a lot of these traditions are rooted in just the structure of these organizations. So yes, they're technically segregated. And, um, but at the same time, it's, there's, there are the arguments that you need to have spaces specifically for women and you need to have spaces specifically for black men and women and spaces specifically for, mm. right. So I think that the issue becomes not that organizations are tailored to different audiences, the fact that you're a sorority and you cater to women is fine and perfect. Um, but the issue is really that, yeah, segregation is sort of enforced 
in terms of these organizations are siloed because we keep them siloed. We keep them in these, you know, and the councils at the campus level are part of national councils, right? So right. if your sorority is a member of the National Panhellenic Council, you're going to be a part of the Panhellenic Council on your campus. Right. And that's where the differences come into play. And that's where those differences are enforced, where a member of a historically white fraternity might say, oh, those NPHC historically black groups do recruitment different than us, so we can't really learn from them. And so there's just mm. not that engagement in our interaction because the technical differences are built into how they're structured by campuses and by the bigger umbrella associations. Right, right. Wow. I, I, I can definitely see that that conversation. And I think that it totally makes sense. And, and, and so my kind of thought while you're talking is is providing a space for these these uh, historically oppressed groups and, and protecting that space is also a, a really important thing. Uh, but it, it kind of looks and, and seems like modern day segregation. But it is in a lot of. No, it is. It is. It's yeah. just people justify things differently, you know. Right. <laughs> so right. I might critique sense. it, but I think. And I know people would heckle me for critiquing it, you know, and they have. Um, but what's life if you're not contemplating, you know, if you're not at yeah. least questioning, well, okay, we're complaining that these groups are not interacting with these groups and we keep them separate and they have separate meeting times and they are in their own separate council. And so there's this whole thing of like, every group in this council needs to mingle with every group in this council. And it's just a lot. It's not something that college students have time for. They're not there to be like taught these things, but perhaps yeah. if those are all one council or if fraternities and sororities were just organizations represented in student government, like every other student organization, they might even mingle with more than just fraternities and sororities. So you could break them out of their insular communities if you sort of break down these walls that Greek life has built within itself and between itself and the campus. That's like, Blasphemy. we could talk about this for hours, right? But yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. I love it. So we've got to get to how the media, how the world views Greek organizations. So when we look at the media and how they perceive Greek organization, even Hollywood, uh, especially fraternities, we see some pretty gruesome stereotypes that are being pushed. And so I, I want to ask you, are these things true? And, and also, how, how, can we, how can we look at these in a different way? Uh, there's some saying that all stereotypes are rooted in truth. Um, mm. Whether or not that's true, I have no idea. But there, are, there is truth to the fact that hazing does exist in fraternities and sororities of all kinds um, and hazing at all levels exists, right? So it's not what people have to understand who are watching this is whether it's the news media or pure entertainment, they exist because people watch and they have to put things out there that people are going to watch. So you're not going to create a TV show that's just about a bunch of fraternity people meeting and getting to know one another and going on service projects together. That's not the juicy element of it, right? That doesn't sell. No, sex sells and danger sells and all of that. So that's what's going to be prioritized in those types of things. Um, so it's unfortunate because particularly as you get into the news type of thing where people are turning to these people for advice, a lot of the fixes or the band-aids that are proposed by people in the media, but also even people who work in fraternities and sororities 
don't necessarily take into account the structural, again, the structural complexity of these organizations. These are little democratic student organizations, right? They vote on just about everything. They're a part of, right. you know, just like the states are a part of the federal government. Your fraternity chapter is a part of an international group that you may or may not have a voice in. So uh, I think it, it does taint how people approach fraternities in terms of how we can solve things. You know, they're like, just ban alcohol and ban hazing and you won't have a problem, but you have to Easy. enforce that, you know, <laughs> and who's going to enforce that. <laughs> um, and I think it just, you know, like one of the bigger hazing incidents of 2017, there were several major deaths attributed to hazing. One of them was a member of an alcohol-free fraternity his death was due to alcohol consumption. And, yeah. you know, this isn't necessarily cynical, but it's just like, you can't just tell students that a rule exists and expect them to enforce it as if they came up with it, right? So you're basically, we're giving a lot of people the job of being cops. If you're an advisor to a chapter, you should be advising people and like helping them solve problems. And instead, I think a lot of fraternity advisors are tasked with the responsibility of monitoring these student groups and making sure that they're not getting into trouble. And that's a lot of stress for somebody who's not getting paid to do it. You know, you're a volunteer, you've right. got a job or something or a family. You shouldn't be chasing around college kids to make sure that they're not doing this or that. So I think everything could be solved through friendship is basically my big picture idea. Um, and that's not really something that you hear about in the news because, you know, these are generally privileged or considered to be privileged organizations. Um, Rightly so. Everything is based, everything I see about fraternities is based in the truth. I just think that there's less willingness to understand how they work maybe than some other groups or to give them some, not some slack, but to give them the credit to like try and address their problems without being lectured. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so you, you mentioned earlier the the, the band fraternity movement, which, which uh, had some pretty heavy steam when I when I was in college. I'm not sure the status of it today, but I, I think that I I see that, and then I also think of as a history teacher the First Amendment. So how does the First Amendment and the freedom of association, the freedom of assembly, factor into our conversation about uh, about fraternities and, and especially about banning fraternities uh, throughout the country? Um, pretty heavily. <laughs> That's, I mean, it's, it's our main protection as fraternity organ. Speaking from somebody advocating for fraternities, that's our main protection is the right to associate your freedom to basically express yourself and be yourself however you want to be. Right. I think there's two factors that play into this. One is Fraternities are going to exist whether or not they're banned by a campus. They started off in secret and underground. They'll basically go back to being secret and underground. And if you want to make them more accessible and if you want to make them more diverse and more appealing to a wider variety of students, the last thing you probably want to do is make them more exclusive and separate from the campus community and just pulling those students away. Um, but in terms of the First Amendment, A, you know, these are associations. They're protected by the First Amendment. Um, that's been shown. For example, Harvard tried to, they didn't outright ban their single sex organizations, but they basically said, if you join a single sex organization as a student, you are not eligible for certain scholarships and leadership positions on campus. Wow. Um, and they got taken to court. There was a big investment by fraternities and sororities to fight that. And before there was a ruling, it was pretty clear that they were going to lose that case, that you can't tell somebody, you can't join this type of club, but you can join this type of club. 
Um, right. So they reversed that rule, but it's, it's basically shown up where it's sort of a pipe dream. If you think that you can just ban fraternities and that they'll disappear because people have that, they'll forge those organizations and just detach them from college campuses. And I think that that's the wrong way to go. I think that the better way to go would be for schools to loosen the rules on what qualifies as a fraternity. Um, because right now you could have 30 fraternities at a school and they're all basically expected to do the exact same things. So when you complain that fraternities only recruit one type of person, you have to look at the fact that only people who want to put up with all the stuff that fraternity students have to put up with the educational programs, the service, the plant, right? All they're jacks yeah. of all trades by not necessarily by choice. Um, and so it doesn't give students an opportunity to create new organizations with modern values and belief sets. So yeah, freedom of association is important. I think there's a lot of context that people under nobody should be reading. Like, I'm not saying it's bad that people don't know how fraternities function because who really cares? <laughs> right. If you're not involved. But like the NPC, the National Panhellenic Council, uh, which is the historically white women's groups, hasn't admitted a new sorority into their, their, they consist of 26 national and international sororities. There hasn't been a new sorority added since like 1952 or 53. Um, <laughs> and the last time a sorority was founded, the last, you know, the most recent NPC organization was founded in 1917. So like the premier women's groups, right, are all founded basically before <laughs> the roaring 20s. Um, and that's not, why is bad. that? Uh, it's, why, why do we not admit new organizations in, into the, these large conglomerates of Greek organizations? I don't, I don't know. I can't say categorically across the board, it's this way or that, but protectionism plays a role in it. You know, people are fiercely okay. defensive of their affiliations, like political parties and national identities and religious identities. Sure. Right. So, um, the NPC, for example, those women's groups, they have specific rules for how recruitment functions. They have specific rules for what a chapter does. They have specific rules for the volunteer structures of these organizations. And unless you have all of that, because it's so established, it's really difficult to compete with that. There are some national sororities which are not members of that group, but um, more and more you see campuses or you know school administrators saying, if you're not affiliated with one of these big groups, you're not allowed to set up a chapter here because we need them to have a million dollar insurance policy. And wow. right, there's a lot of liability involved in fraternities because of what you mentioned with the news cycle and the lawsuits are getting pretty expensive um, and they're happening pretty regularly. There are lawyers who make a living suing fraternities basically. Yeah. Um, so there's... There's this, we've pushed fraternity leaders into this mode where they have to protect the organization at all costs. And a lot of times that means that there's a lot of anti-competitive behavior in the guise of we're creating higher standards. Um, but it's really mm -hmm. just, we are requiring you to do more things to be one of us. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that you're onto something there. And I kind of want to kind of segue into this mm -hmm. conversation of fraternities relationships specifically with higher education that's so many something that i've always questioned uh i mean especially with our organization we 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 uh we value being better men and and, and seeking better lives and i'm not sure i have always questioned i'm not sure that you have to go to college to be a better man and seek a better life and so I, i'm kind of interested in your opinion on 
um, our, our relationship with these national organizations, uh, fraternity organizations or sorority organizations and higher education specifically? I think it just sort of boils down to tradition. Um, yeah, I think so too. Which is the weird thing because <laughs> people who lead fraternities and who work for them are always trying to tell students like, you don't have to do things because of tradition, but the segregation of those councils, the attachment to higher education, all that type of stuff is basically just because that's how we were created, right? And so we stick with that tradition. Um, like I said, there are, Fraternities came about from literary societies. So once those lost popularity, people joined social groups. And for a long time, they had to be meet in secret because schools had strict curfews and codes on what you can and can't do. Um, over time, schools started to see fraternities as college enrollment boomed after World War II. Schools turned to fraternities to be like the, there's a great Vox article on this where they talk about um, schools turning to fraternities to basically be their like standards enforcement of like, we can't control all these students. So if they join fraternities, we're going to partner up with the fraternity and they're going to keep them on track. Because, and provide housing. Yeah, exactly. And the expansion of housing, everything. And back then, most groups were still religiously affiliated. So you know, if you're joining a Christian organization, you're going to be expected to hold Christian ideals. So a person's parents would feel comfortable that their student is surrounded by Christians and the Christian president of the university would be like, oh, these fraternities are going to help keep everybody Christian and good. Um, and for, you know, that's for everybody, not just white Christians. Um, yeah. so there's just this, there's the relationship has just been built since that time and it's gotten deeper and deeper. And as people are starting to try and avert liability, they just dig themselves into the trenches. So some fraternities now are practicing or tinkering with the idea of setting up chapters at community colleges some are talking mm -hmm. about recruiting people who aren't even in college and in a lot of cases you can initiate as a member of a fraternity even if you didn't go to college um it would just have to be as an alumnus quote unquote right right i think that's an interesting concept something i've always thought about and question uh, in in our types of organizations so when you look at greek organizations in general what do you think at the high at, at when you look at your priority list and how Greek organizations need to change, what is at the top of that list? Um, personally, <laughs> personally speak, this is just, and I do have a lot of experience with it. I will say that it's been 10 years of like professional level experience. So I've just right. observed a lot, but I'm not the most experienced person on the block. What I think needs to happen is we just need to, be more willing to break down these walls that we've built under the what I would say is the guise of higher standards, because it ends up just being more and more and it shuts out more people from the experience. I think we're really defensive when somebody says that they don't want to pay for friends or that we're just a friend club and there's nothing wrong with it. If all of your club does is create fantastic lifelong friendships, that's a wonderful thing to do. But right. at most schools in this country, you would be barred from setting up a fraternity that's just a friend club. If that's all you want to be, you either have to be part of what everybody else does and you have to take part in all of the politics of it, right? The formal recruitment where everybody gets goes from house to house so that they can make their own decision. And you have to so do Greek fun. sing and you have to do all these like little random traditional things. <laughs> um, yeah. You can't just start a friend club if you want one, or it can't be a fraternity at least. And I think that breaking yeah. down that barrier where there's this huge separation between 
fraternities and every other student organization would do a lot to help create better understanding and better integration of fraternities into society. And that's the thing that I think fraternities need. They need to like have a reality check and realize that we can't keep saying that we're the best and we're amazing and we produce all these excellent people and separate ourselves so far from all the other student organizations. And, you know, um, Ibram Kendi, who writes about like anti-racism, wrote an article a while back. And I think his argument was flawed, but generally he equates fraternities to gangs and explains how we treat fraternity men differently when they mess up compared to members of gangs, uh, where one mm. is very penalty focused and one is very nurturing focused. I'd argue sure. that, you know, we're still pretty penalty focused across the board as a society, but that's me. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, the fraternity organizations put out press releases like this is a preposterous thing. Like there's no similarity between fraternities and gangs. Well, if you look up the Latin Kings, for example, they've got a ritual book, they've got symbols, they've got chapters, they've got a national network, perhaps international network of people. They're joining for those relationships and to better themselves and to level up at least as best they can, right? If you're going to work at a, a no offense, I hope, you, <laughs> please don't make me any target of anything. But, uh, you know, if you're going to work at a grocery store for 10 bucks an hour, or you can just stand on a corner and be a lookout and get paid a hundred dollars every time a deal is done, what are you yeah. going to do? Right. So I think without by distancing ourselves immediately from that and being like, we're nothing like those, we're basically saying that that's a part of society that we are not connected with and we can't help with. And that's not true. We can be involved, you know, if we're going to be community stewards and do community service and volunteer, we have to be willing to be a part of every element of a community. We can't just cut out the parts that are gross or that we don't think are honorable. So yeah, I, yeah, I, I think it's just that we need like humility. That's an interesting take and I really like it. And it goes, and it's just adding ammunition to my, to my argument of Greek organizations being associated with higher education. Um, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> well, and that's I'm changing a minority. Too. No, no, that's, <laughs> that's the thing. There are like, now there's the fraternity forward coalition, which is very pro first amendment rights. And yeah. because we've been so lax on it and we've just allowed schools to create these rules for fraternities that they don't apply to any other student organization. And now like the abolish Greek life movement at Duke, the university president worked with the leaders of that initiative created a bunch of rules about fraternity recruitment and then nine fraternities severed ties with the campus and everybody's yeah. like shocked like why would they do this this is a missed opportunity but if you're just going to target them and make things harder for them because they are this type of organization of course they're going to separate and i think that that's going to be the trend as we move forward vc virginia commonwealth university just paused all recruitment activities for fraternities indefinitely of course those groups are going to sever ties with universities and be like, okay, we'll just not have to abide by any of your rules. And so, yeah, I think I'm not saying that they Which should disaffiliate. Which can be more dangerous. It can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's the thing is it's not really that we need to sever our connection to higher education. It's just that we need to, we need to be more willing to be open about what a fraternity is on the fraternity side and the schools need to be, less focused on targeting groups with specific policies based on the type of group that they are, hmm. um, which also ah. was a legal case. Anybody wants to look it up? Young Americans for Liberty against UC Berkeley. Wow. You can't target a student group just because it's similar or different to another student group. 
There you go. There you go. That That's interesting. So when we think about what you uh, just said that needs to change about Greek organizations, how can it current members and how can new initiates uh, contribute to, to uh, bettering Greek organizations as a whole? These are good. You're very insightful. But I mean, you, <laughs> you. you know this topic. Come on. Um, <laughs> again, just personally, I would think that for me, my initiative, once I was working at the National, so I was like a director. I was running like half of our initiatives at the National Fraternity, advising a lot of the staff. And at some point I was realizing like, okay, every time a student or an alumnus brings up a complaint, we're just telling them, well, you know, there's a process to run that through and you can bring it up at convention. And there's sort of like this boilerplate, like you have control over your fraternity experience. And I think more people just need to take control over their ownership of it. Right. So like I write my blog and whatever people say, I don't really care. It's my blog. It's my contribution to fraternities. I have total control over it. Um, and, you know, for better or worse, I have, you know, I interact with a lot of fraternity people. So clearly I'm building my own fraternity experience. And I think more people just need, especially on the alumni side, just need to be willing to build their own experience. Like if you know people from your school and you want to organize something to go and meet once a month or go to a baseball games over the summer or things like that, just do it. And the more you take control over what you do as a member of a fraternity, the the better it's going to be for our organizations in the long run, because right now things are a little too cut and paste across the board. Everybody does the same things and you're restricted, but um, you're not. If you're, you know, if you want to create a Delta Sig group that people just talk about, if you want to start your own book club, in addition to the national book club and make it the unofficial Delta Sig book club, no one's going to stop you and no one can stop you. Right. You might not be able to use the letters, but you can still do it, right? You can call it the Yit book club. <laughs> um, which for, you know, Yitbos is like a thing in our, it's a secret. It's a secret in theory. Yeah. So I think it's that, <laughs> I just think people need to create things. And I, that's something I try to do a lot in Delta Sig. Um, we created like a secret society for LGBTQ people at convention. It's not really secret, but called the Pink Sphinx. There are a lot of the best things about fraternity come about through like chance engagements and just random little independent thinking. So I say pursue yeah. that. If you have an idea, pursue it, talk with people and try and make it happen. That's really good. And I think that there's so much more to talk about on the alumni side. But as we're running out of time, I want to I want to shift my focus to, to your blog. And so when you think about Greek life at a higher level, because I think your blog looks at Greek life at a higher level. Mm -hmm. uh, what are some of the things that you're most passionate about when it comes to Greek life or, or the things that you push most often or kind of when, when you think about your blog, what are you thinking about? I think early on, I was just, you know, I'm like, kind of vain, um, admittedly. <laughs> and yeah, so I was just sort of like, Oh, my ideas are so different. Like I can just poke out the hypocrisy of people who work in fraternity and sorority life and who don't follow the rules that they set. Sure. And while that's true, I think now it's sort of molded into I want to help organizations just be a little bit more modern. Um, I think my focus is trying to find ideas and find ways of approaching problems and people who are sharing ideas of approaching problems differently that just don't stick with the best practices. I think um, a lot of it is explaining how fraternities work because even members of fraternities do not understand the governing process of the fraternity and going to convention and voting on bills and like changing constitutions or they don't understand 
how big and influential the field of work is. Like it's the same as government, you know, like the company that sells hazing products is ultimately driving hazing policy. Um, and that's right. not to say that anybody is ill-intentioned. It's just, you know, you don't want to mess with somebody's money or, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I think a lot of it is just trying to shed light on how fraternities work behind the scenes and then offering alternative ideas to what we presume to be the best solutions to a problem, right? Like yeah. big brothers and family trees. When you join a fraternity, you might get assigned a big brother or a sorority. You might get a big sister. Um, and then you might be a member of a little family tree within that organization that might have a name. And a lot of people are like, let's get rid of these. They're just vestigial aspects of the organization. They don't mean anything or they just have made them such. They're purely ceremonial. So like for I'll look at ways of how can big brothers more appropriately involve themselves in the orientation of new members or how can family trees be used as a way to create programming that's based around the interests of the member instead of dictates from a school. So a lot of it is just like how to make fraternities a little bit more friendship oriented and free, if you will, just yeah. open to change and creativity and insight. That's my goal. Yeah. But I know I come across a little uh, testy. Sometimes I just get amped up about something and I'm like, I'm going to rip Harvard a new one for the, you know, <laughs> those are no, fun. I've too. seen that. Yeah, I've seen that. And I think yeah. that uh, I think that you do a great job. I think that your arguments are usually uh, they're all based in, in something else. I mean, there, there's research involved in, in all these different things. So I think that you do a great job. Uh, I try to punch upward. Yeah. A lot of people punch <laughs> at the students. I'm like, no, look at the guy who's like the head of the United Nations version for fraternities. He's the one who's setting some of these policies. Right. So I think a lot of it is just redirecting attention to the root what I believe to be root causes versus the students aren't the reason why things are terrible. You know, they mess up and they do a lot of stuff, but they didn't create yeah. it. Yeah. That makes sense. It, it totally makes sense. And so let's get into the closing questions. What's your final piece of advice for, for people that are either a part of Greek life or joining Greek life? What is your final piece of advice for those people? Um, the relationships are just the most important thing and you'll be surprised how long and how enduring they are like friendship is something everybody pays for friends in one way or another with your time or your money so right. if you leave with a couple good friends you've done your job as a fraternity person and you'll probably remember your experience fondly yeah absolutely uh, so, so the next thing is as, as a young adult, which, which you are, whether you like it or not, uh, what is something that you're working on? What is something that you're still trying to figure out as a young adult? Uh, video game streaming. Um, <laughs> I got kind of into it during COVID. I was like, I understand why kids watch this. Like it's, yeah, it's just live TV and you know, the medium is the video game, right? So I like tried to do this whole thing where I was like talking about a topic and playing a video game on Twitch on Thursday and I failed miserably. So uh, I'm, I'm really just trying to build my understanding of media tools. I helped my friend Aaron Bow record an audiobook and edited it recently. And I'm like not a professional at any of this, but learning web design, all, I'm just trying to like learn the language of technology, I think is something I I'm investing that. in. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Episode eight with Taylor Brimer was all about uh, video game streaming. And so I saw, yeah. that's, a, yeah, <laughs> I it's a really it cool topic. 
Nice. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it's an interesting topic. I mean, I, eventually I'd like to get into video somehow. And so there mm-hmm. there's a lot that goes into it. And so it's really cool that you're just dabbling in, in everything. Uh, so that's really good. Uh, my last question to you is, where can people learn more about you and, and Fraternity Man as well? Well, um, everything I write is on fraternityman.com. Uh, and I'm uh, I have a limited presence on social media. I've sort of distanced myself from my personal accounts and privatized them and everything like that. But you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Nick Kula George, K O U L O George, um, and on Twitter, Fraternity Nick, and my name is N I K, so it's Fraternity N I K. Nice, nice. Well, you got to go engage with his content it's super high level it's super amazing and so you've got to go check it out you also need to go check out how to adult tw on facebook and instagram follow all the pages share all the content uh if you're considering joining a greek organization i think this is a great episode to uh to share with those seniors or those freshmen that you have in high school and college so share it with them with all that being said y'all we are going to learn how to adult together